Blog Talk Radio. Welcome to the Natural Running Network Live. We are brought to you by Mio, makers of the first strapless EKG-accurate heart rate monitor sports watches, and Vitargo, the energy replacement and recovery drink of intelligent endurance athletes. My name is Richard Diaz. I am your host. Are you a runner? Getting ready to do your first 5K, 10K, marathon, triathlon, Spartan race? Well, sit tight, because this is a show you just don't want to miss. Hi, everybody. Uh, Kind of an unusual day for us to be broadcasting, but we had some really cool stuff we wanted to get off our chest. So here we are. Before I get started with this interview with Joe DeSena, I want to uh, offer up a little plug for their upcoming West Coast Spartan Combine. This is the very first time that Spartan put on a combine. So what they're telling me is you want to take this combine and think in terms of NFL combine, NBA three-point contest, and converge all of this into a jam-packed day of spear throws, 40-yard dashes, climbs, hoists, and much more. All the competitors will gain invaluable insights into their performance and athleticism, But only one male and one female winner will be crowned the 2015 West Coast Spartan Combine champ. And uh, along with that comes with a free entry into the world championships. I believe first place gets $1,000. Something to think about. This is going to go down on, uh, let's see, I think it's the 21st of January in Temecula. And if you need more information on this, you can simply go to Spartan.com, special events and you should be able to find it. So let's not waste another minute. Let's get on with my interview. I'm with Joe DeSena. He is the founder and creator of Death Race and the Spartan Obstacle Racing Series around the world. Joe, say hello to the audience for me. Yeah, how you doing, audience? Um, Joe DeSena here. I'm sitting in Boston. Uh, my home is in Vermont, and uh, we did a calculation last week I'm uh, I've been on the road uh, over 250 days I think in 2014. It's terrible. Oh my God! You know I don't know how you do it, Joe. I I can tell you that I just uh, in, in in preparation for this interview I I just pulled you up and I saw like a million video clips where you'd been interviewed. So I know this is trying for you and I and I, I'm sure it's going to be to some degree redundant. I apologize for that up front, but I I am glad to have you on the show. No, I'm ha- I'm happy to do it. I couldn't get my wife to listen to me, so um, it's exciting that anybody <laughs> wants to talk to me for an hour. All right, so look, I want to start by, uh, you know, I, I, I think my first introduction to you and what you're all about was I read an article, and I think it was Outside Magazine, where they were covering the, the death race. And I talked about that for days. I mean, I thought, man, this is some crazy stuff. And that's that's still going on, right? You got the death race is still happening, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, created um death race. Uh well actually it's a pretty funny story. Back in two thousand I um I purchased the URL uh, peak dot com and um back then I I had this idea to create this uh this global network of um adventurists 
kind of like the Explorers Club, people that were just doing insane uh, athletic things, climbing Everest, etc. And um, and our first race that we we're going to put on was back in 2000, 2000, 2001 in the British Virgin Islands. And it was um, 350 miles. It includes sailing, swimming, biking. It was a very, very difficult race. 25 teams of four showed up to compete, about 100 participants. And um, it's amazing that uh, no one died. It was an incredible event. And, and really... Um, that is the first time I can recall using this, I, this, this sentence, the death race in anything. And, and it came about because I had um, a team that was organizing the race and they were setting ropes in one particular uh, island and the people were going to have to rope climb out of the water uh, up and scale up a, a cliffside. And as they were setting the rope five days before the race started, uh, one of the climbers fell and cut his leg. As such, he had to go get stitches. He then showed up on a rowboat with a, with a little outboard motor the next day to check on the other climbers. Um, fast forward 8, 10, 11 days when the race was completed and everybody was getting packed up and ready to leave, a couple of the guys came over and said, hey, uh, we haven't seen so-and-so um, since, you know, 10 days there, and I said, what do you mean you haven't seen them? And they went through the story I just described to you. So we immediately called the Coast Guard. We assumed uh, he was, he either found a beautiful woman and, and ended up on some other island somewhere and was never coming back or, or he was dead. And uh, it turned out that he had drifted, that the engine on the, on the dinghy he was on had drifted uh, 150 miles and landed on an undeserted island um, called uh, Little Tobago and survived for eight or ten days on that island um, until we found him with the Coast Guard. Oh, man. And, and we picked him up with a helicopter, brought him back to the island where we were, and the first thing he said was, hey, guys, can we go grab dinner? <laughs> <laughs> so that was the first time I heard um, this, this idea of a death race. And then years later... We got it going in Vermont, my hometown, and um, it's just been that kind of experience where we just completely break people's spirit and get them to a point where they don't want to take another step forward, and um, and that's where you really find out about yourself and others, right? It's easy to be a good person when everything is going well. Wow. It's harder to be a good person and, and stay focused and take put one step in front of the other when everything's not going well. And um, and for the death race, in 24, 48, 72 hours, we've got to recreate um, that kind of situation that gets people to mentally break. Um, and and I mean, look at the guy that was deserted on the island, right? He didn't he didn't crack. He he was just waiting for dinner. Wow, I I remember reading that, uh, and I I thought this was really cool is the waiver, essentially, to participate in this thing is, it says, like, you may die. <laughs> That's right. That's right. Yeah, well, you know what? I think the lawyers have trouble arguing with that, right? I mean, you're telling them what's going on. <laughs> you have a chance of dying here, dude. That's right. Oh, wow. So i I got to tell you, I am absolutely fascinated with this whole Spartan thing. And, and I'll confess that I've never done one myself. And here I am, I just celebrated my 62nd birthday recently, and 
I was out in the park this morning and working on the horizontal ladder to try to get that going on. And because I'm a fairly big boy, and you know, I got to be honest, I, I've had a fondness for single malt Scotch and Cuban cigars. It's been not exactly the training palette that might be the case for some of these young bucks like Hunter McIntyre and uh, you know the rest. But uh, you, you've inspired me already. I'm inspired by this whole thing, and I guess that's the game, right? You're you're all about inspiring people to get off their asses and do something, right? Yes, my mother. My mother was. Uh, my father was a workaholic, an entrepreneur, maniac, very creative, very forward thinking, and just relentless. My mother was um, the same way, but into yoga, meditation, health, food, and and way before it was cool, and certainly way before it was cool in Queens where I grew up. And everybody she would touch and start to convince to eat healthy and you know not put extra fake syrup on their oatmeal, whatever it was. Um, would start to transform in a positive way. And I saw that happen over the years, you know, over 30 years. And um, and I just wanted to continue that tradition. I, I you know, I wrote people in to just getting stuff done, whatever that stuff may be. Hey, want to go for a bike ride? And I get a guy to ride 250 miles. He's never biked more than 30 miles in his life. And, and um, I, it, there's just something really satisfying about doing that. You know, it's funny you bring that up because uh, uh, I was listening to, I, I've had conversations, I've met um, Isaiah Vidal, he's been to my place, and uh, you know, I've been working with Hunter, helping him train for the world's uh, championships uh, this coming year, and uh, I met Isaiah, and in the course of conversation, and I think even through listening to some of the podcasts that he's done, he talked to me about how he spoke to you about getting to world championships from Austin, Texas, to Vermont, and he was complaining that he didn't have the funds, didn't have the money, and, and you basically spotted him the money and told him, "Hey, ride your bike." And he didn't apparently he didn't think much about it. He said, "Well, yeah, all right, you know," and just decided to ride his bike to Vermont, uh, having never been past about 25 miles on the bike in a, in a given setting in his life. So uh, it's uh, I don't know how deep you got in his head or how much he cussed you on the way there, but. Talking about an inspirational story, you got this guy to do something that's absolutely crazy. And he got it done, and he's a better person for it. And, you know, everybody says to me, um, how do you do it? I've never done that before. Well, you put one foot in front of the other, right? Yeah. You you, you convince yourself in your mind that you're, you can't go out. I hear, uh, You know, I interviewed a rock climber recently, and, and I don't I don't climb, uh, I'm not a rock climber at all. I have no experience in there other than maybe some ropes, climbing ropes. But um, he said he learned very early on um, that you have to focus on the three feet in front of you. You, you can't worry about anything else because that's all you control. And, and I think that's a really smart thing uh, to understand for life because um, if you just put one foot in front of the other, you just focus on what's right in front of you, um, before you know it, you've gone a thousand feet, and then two thousand feet, right, and then three thousand. Before you, it's amazing how far you can go if you just focus on a little bit in front of it. Right. Well, I, I've, I've had some interesting opportunities to interview some really, really crazy. I, I don't, I, I don't even know that the word crazy is appropriate, but people that uh, are just not going to be bound by their limitations and have done some absolutely fascinating things. You know, one being. You know, Charlie Engel, when I spoke to him about running across the Sahara Desert, I mean, it was like 4,000-plus miles, 
between 40 and 60 miles running through sand with the wind blowing in your face at about 120 degrees sideways every day. I mean, I love I love uh, Charlie. I know Charlie very well. Oh, do you? Yeah, we, uh, yeah. We used to race a lot together. Um, so, uh, how's he doing now? Do you know? You know what? I spoke to him yesterday, and I actually suggested to him that he get involved in this cruise, and he said he wants to come. Oh, good, 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 good. Yeah. So, uh, yeah, he's he's down. He just wants me to confirm details, and he said he wants to come for sure. Yeah, I love. I, you know, I mean, he's a good story. Even even the um, the tough part of his story, what he went through, is a good story. Oh, I know, I know. I love Charlie too. I, you know, I talked to a, a lot of guys that have done some really pretty amazing things, but you know, Charlie's the real deal. I mean, he's overcome you know the common life obstacles, drug addiction. He got, I think, he was wrong wrongly accused and put in jail, and you know, he just has a really colorful story. And, you know, he doesn't count himself as any particular, you know, uh, elite athlete. He just He's just relentless. He's just going to go out and get it done regardless. And, and I love that about Charlie. Yeah, I agree. Yeah. So uh, I want to talk about the Spartan race a little bit. Now, Now this thing's huge. And I, and I, I have to – let me just kind of preface where I'm going with this by telling you that I got involved in the, the – um, the evolution of triathlon really, really early. Uh, I used to live on the island of Maui and got involved in producing triathlon events in 1980. And, uh, you know, back then, the fascination of Ironman, uh, at the time, I believe it was still on the island of Oahu and then eventually moved to Kona. I got involved with the people that produced the event, and, uh, you know, I was really fascinated by this this event. I mean, it's, you've done Ironman, you know, it's it's no cakewalk. It's it's a very very difficult sport, and got involved, produced the event, and um, uh, eventually we uh, produced an event for CBS Sports on the island of Kauai, which was the Kauai Loves You Triathlon in 1984. But uh, where I'm going with this is that back then the conversation was the sport's going to go pro. Back then all the athletes that participated were all basically amateur athletes. They did not compete for money. And with the advent of, uh, you know, actually the event we did was the first uh, purse event in the United States. Before that, there was Nice, France. There was They were giving up money there. Mark Allen was taking all that away from him. But uh, at the end of the day, all this conversation about bringing the event to the Olympics, becoming an Olympic sport, people making a living off the sport, and it was just kind of a shot in the dark. Nobody really knew for sure where it was headed. Uh, is this thing going to fall to the wayside pretty soon because it's just kind of a whim? And here we are, you know, the thing's in the Olympics, and there's guys that are making a living. Um, and I think just in retrospect, looking at this whole thing, where Spartan racing is going, I think it's going to be bigger. I think it's going to be ten times bigger than triathlon is, simply because of the potential for spectator value. Would you agree with me? I, I couldn't agree more. It just it feels um, feels like we're we're in the first inning. And the cool thing about it, I mean, we used to talk about you know you know the 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 the, the beginnings of the triathlon with Commander Collins and a couple of his buddies in a bar, and I can do this, and you know you all, well I can do this, and and so it was basically bragging rights over a couple of drinks, and then they went out and you know put together a two and a half mile swim. They they. Uh, uh, rode their bikes around the island of Oahu, and then they ran a marathon, and then there, there we spawned Ironman. And here you are, 
you're essentially the same thing. You're going to go down in the annals of history as the guy that produced the Spartan race, which turned into an Olympic event, and you're going to you're going to breed a whole new a whole new um, adventure for uh, athletic endeavor. I think that is just absolutely amazing. Well, it's funny. I'll, I'll give you I'll give you some. Um, I've done I don't know hundreds of interviews. I've done articles, uh, videos, and uh, I'll give you something almost nobody knows. Um, a little nugget for for your audience is um, because of Ironman, uh, Ironman was going to get into our sport when we were about a year old, not even. And they, I forget what they called it, the Primal Challenge, I believe. And they actually grabbed our venue down in North Carolina, and I was sweating bullets because um, they have the wherewithal. Uh, at that point, I was already so invested in this business that um, it would have been devastating to lose at that point. And um, and it was just, you know, if Iron Man had done it, there was no chance we were going to survive, in my opinion. So we quickly created this founder's story. So, you know, Iron Man's got an incredible founder's story when you, when, when you listen to it about these 11 um, athletes that were sitting around the bar and then they came up with this um, this idea of swimming, biking, running. And so we quickly said, look, we need some, we need an authentic story. Um so that we can at least somewhat compete if Iron Man is really doing this. And so we created this story around the founders, and the founders are all buddies of mine. But um, but just like Iron Man, at the end of the day, it was um, you know I don't know I don't know how much of the Iron Man uh, story is true. You probably know more than me um, regarding the founders, whether that's just folklore or, or, or what. But um, but I, I just think it's interesting. I've never, no one's ever asked me about it. And um, just the fact that you've been around that long around triathlon, I, I thought it was interesting that we used a similar story to try to compete with them. Well, it it, uh, it it was pretty it was pretty fascinating. And I think this is back. You know, I go back. I really go back. And, and uh, I remember. Um, you know, my fascination with this and like, oh, man, I, I think, you know, I, I was born and raised in Michigan and the concept of swimming two and a half miles in the ocean was just no, no way. You know, obviously, we're, you're, you know, conjuring up the thought of being consumed by a shark or whatever. And I remember watching it on uh, Wide World of Sports and I thought, well, wow, look what they're doing. And I, I had no idea at that point in time that I'd end up living in Hawaii and actually producing these type of events and being in the ocean myself and doing these events myself. And uh, lo and behold, ended up getting a call from CBS Sports. They wanted to cover my event and you know, because we put on a pretty good show and we brought in all of the best uh, athletes uh, in the world at the time to, com- to compete. And... Uh, you know, and here we are, you know, all this, all this time has gone by, but so, you know, based on my background in this, I'm looking at the Spartan thing and, you know, my show obviously has coined the, the natural running network. I've been very, uh, dedicated to this whole concept of running mechanics and proper running skills. And, you know, I, I come from triathlon. I, I, I run a, a, a diagnostic lab where I do uh VO2 t- tests on athletes. I've been doing so for t- 20 years. So I'm so entrenched in this whole concept of human endeavor and this in endurance, and then here I where, come. Where, go ahead. Where are you physically? Where are you physically located? I'm in Southern California. You're in SoCal, okay. But and uh, you have a you have a facility. 
Well, you know what? I, I, I just moved out of my facility a year ago. I had about a 3,000-square-foot facility where it was just basically me working with athletes. And uh, I decided to lower my overhead, and I have a lab set up at my home, and that's where I work now. But, you know, I, it, it, it came to me that really at the end of the day, the asset that I had was not the building. It was me. <laughs> and for me to spend about $11,000 extra per month to have the, the, the building was just fluff. So uh, it hasn't changed the complexion of my business. I still am able to do, and I, and I still do what I do. Uh, athletes come to me all the time. And as I suggested, uh, I work with Hunter McIntyre right now, and I'm helping him to improve his running skills. And actually, I have him coming in on Friday to do a VO2 test. But... Um, Anyway, yeah, so, I'd, love to, I'd love to talk to you because we're doing we're doing some really cool things. We got a secret project um, that I think you could be invaluable for. I would love to, I would love to discuss it with you. No no question. So getting back to the event, um, we're we're looking at the potential for being involved in the Olympics, and I've seen just through some of the clips that I've watched you involved in that you obviously are very interested in seeing that occur. Um, so then there's this whole process of standardizing the events. And I, I'm assuming that given that you're going to get basically one shot at this in the Olympics, you got to pick a distance. Is it going to be a sprint? Is it going to be like a super race? Or is it going to be a long-distance race? What do you think? I would think it's going to be a sprint, is my guess. And I don't know, again, everything we've done has been, um, you know, I did a bunch of Ironmans, and I, and I saw I was around that sport. I was super impressed like you are. And so my gut tells me um, – we got to we got to emulate what they've done, and I think it's a sprint. Yeah. Well, now, given that, and this is just a thought that just occurred to me while we're having this conversation, is that when when and if it comes to fruition, where the the Spartan race or obstacle race becomes an Olympic event, and the Olympic event now is a sprint, don't you feel like that's going to um, put a, a slant on the entire complexion? of the obstacle racing scene where m most of the athletes vying for an opportunity to get to the Olympics are going to be focusing on the shorter events? Or do you think that because it being a professional sport where athletes are, are coming to the events to earn a living, which I, I think is also marvelous, uh, are, are they going to go for the money or are they going to go for the Olympic opportunity? Well, I think, I think you're certainly going to, I mean, you look at a sign of Whitfield, right? Um, incredible uh, sprint triathlete. Um, versus somebody that's that's uh, competing in the, in the Ironman full distance, um, I think we have an opportunity to 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 get both, and I'll explain why. I think our stuff, our sport, lends itself to TV more than Ironman does. I think I think it's hard to watch Ironman or even a, or even a triathlon um, and get excited about television. I would suspect in the next couple of years you're going to see a lot more TV surrounding hopefully Spartan and this sport. And so an athlete could migrate towards uh, the Olympics. And I think, listen, if you're a top Olympian, you're going to make money with endorsements and sponsors. And I think there's going to be a bunch of athletes that migrate towards longer distance and television, right. which there's going to be a lot of sponsors and money. Yeah. So, um and and I don't know. I mean, you you know better than me with your testing lab and your background. Um, but, but I think you're going to see athletes that could actually compete in both. I, I think there are some, um, for for lack of a better term, thinner 
smaller athletes that are very, very fast that actually could compete and do well in our world championship, which is, you know, a half marathon. But I don't know if they trained properly for it. Right. I, I don't think it's because they, they did so many sprints this year or 2014 that, that, that they failed. I just think they didn't train properly for that distance. Well, there's no book on it yet. And I'm, I know that everybody's yeah. feverishly going after trying to figure out what the magic solution is to proper training. But, you know, given, you know, again, going back to the fact that I'm working with Hunter, you know, here's a big guy, very quick uh, in the short stuff, very, very fast, but he's a big guy. And so the longer he goes, the harder it is to support the energy cost that's associated with the longer events. And so that's kind of the the, uh, the bailiwick that we're handed right now, and we're trying to trying to solve that problem. And so I, I don't know. I that that's what's that's why I guess part, in part why I'm so fascinated by the sport is because it's so uncharted. You know, there's so many opportunities that exist in in the whole thing. I mean, from a standpoint of directing people to the the right processes, uh, just so many things. But it's just cool stuff, Joe. You you did you did yourself good, man. That's a very very cool thing. Thank you. Yeah. So. Um, I understand now that you're about 17 countries large, last I heard. Yes. And, um, you know, my understanding is you need about 42 countries to make an Olympic sport uh, uh, shot. I do, yeah. How many years do you think it's going to take for that to happen? You know, uh, there are some days where I think this is going to be easy. (laughs) There are other days days where it's pretty hard. there's a lot of moving parts. Um, the fact the fact that we've got all these competitors nipping at our heels does not make it easier. It makes it harder because um, at the end of the day, we've got to pay the bills. And to pay the bills, we've got to have racers showing up at races. Um, and so we're constantly scrambling to make sure uh, we get our numbers and we can pay our bills. And if we just had a little more breathing room, we could probably spend more time on the Olympic aspiration. Um, that said, we will get there. It just may not be as fast as uh, as I originally hoped. Okay. So my understanding is, and again, I'm just gleaning information from various uh, points, and, and some of it might be right, some of it might be bullshit, but, uh, you know, you'll know better than anybody. I understand that, like, uh, we're at about 3 million participants a year right now. Uh, this year, globally, um, 2014, we ended the year at about 800,000 participants. Okay. Um, uh, 2014. 2015, we're anticipating a million. We anticipated a million last year. We came in short uh, about 20%. Okay. I don't know where I got the 3 million from, but I understood like in uh, another quote that I got was 50, 50K, 50,000 people back in 2010. Oh, I, I'm sorry. I misunderstood the question. If you're talking about the sport in general, yes, I was speaking. I was speaking uh, just Spartan. Okay, all right. So obstacle racing now is uh, it, those numbers fairly accurate? About three million people participate a year. Yes, that that's correct. Okay, all right. Well, then uh, there you go. There's your growth. It's like uh, it's huge. In you know a matter of three years, four years, uh, the thing has grown in leaps and bounds. Very. I very uh, accessible sport. You know, you don't have to buy a five thousand dollar bike. Well, that's true, and I I could tell you I did my. <laughs> I was getting ready to say it, and I'm almost biting my tongue. I, I was going to say I did my last triathlon in September. Uh, it it gave me a pretty pretty good beating, uh, 
And I spent a lot of money to do that race, you know. And, and thankfully, I have some sponsors that helped me out with various things, made it easier. But it, it's an expensive sport, you know. And and I used to tell people all the time when they're going to get involved in triathlon, I say, well, you don't golf, so you know, golfing is expensive. Um, but uh, Spartan racing, all you got to do is uh, basically get your chonies and you know maybe a little bit of rock tape, and you're good to go. I, I agree. I agree. I I, I, um, I have a really good visual when I think of uh, Spartan athlete versus uh, most other athletes. Right? You just you don't need anything. It's pretty. It's pretty damn Spartan. Yeah, you don't want to dress up for it, do you? No. You're just going to get muddy, right? Yeah. Wow. So um, let let me ask you. You know, I mean, since you've been around this, uh, I've been around this. You are this. Uh, what do you? I, I know it's been something you thought about. What if you were to look at the athlete? If you were to co- like create a clone that is going to excel in this sport, what's he going to look like? How tall is he going to be? What does he weigh? What do you think his attributes are going to be? What, what do you see as the perfect Spartan athlete? You know, I think I think Hunter, like you said, he's an outlier. He's a he's a diesel truck, and um, I, I don't think that's going to be the norm. I think the perfect athlete is going to be um, more compact, probably even uh, a little thinner than, than um, Isaiah, um, but pound for pound, obviously very strong. Um, there's no doubt about it. It's going to have to be fast, right? It's going to have to be a very fast runner, um, but unique unique in that they've got that uh, incredible upper body strength. Right. And it's pretty. I... I I almost feel like um, the fit, the, the pond that we should be fishing in, is is a, is a wrestler. Feels to me like like a wrestler that's been cutting weight. Huh. a lot of a lot of these wrestlers, you know, they could run five five and change minute miles. They're fast, and it's pro- it's probably a young wrestler because as they get better and later in life, it becomes so much more um, talent. Not not that it's not hard work wrestling, you know, at an older age, but but I I, I think they migrated to using more talent and less just brute force, whereas a younger wrestler is just working so damn hard, if that makes sense. Right. Well, it's interesting because um, I, I know I've I've just in my own little world, uh, I've I've spoke with a lot of guys that are very involved in ultra marathons and ultra-extreme events, and they're looking at this pretty hard. You know, Nicodemus Holland, for one, um, you know, he's been looking at this really hard, and he's looking at it as, hey, I'm an athlete. Here's an opportunity for me to pay the bills. And, you know, ultra-marathoning is not a way to pay the bills. You know, just, and I don't want to sound like so so much of a capitalist, but it's a lot of work, and you've got to dedicate a lot of time, and generally that means you you can't work. You You don't have a job, so... You you got to have the sport, you know, uh, help you survive. And I think Spartan racing has given people an opportunity to make a living while they hone their skills. And so I've seen a lot of these guys uh, that are taking a hard look at it. Um, and you know, then I'm looking at the, the the physiques of some of these guys and what they're going to bring to the table and whether they uh, are going to get a harsh surprise. When they when they face some of these obstacles that are not traditional in their sport, so it's kind of fun to watch, and, and I think you're probably spot on with this whole concept of wrestlers because they're you know they're they're built they're they're strong, 
And, you know, they, their, their tendency is to put some cardio in to, to keep their endurance up. So that might be it. Yeah, yeah, I think I think it could be. So um, is your relationship with Reebok now, is, is Reebok a, a part owner or the sponsor of, of, your, of your series? Reebok is a sponsor of the series. Um, they got in uh, when no one wanted to. They were they were pretty uh, savvy in getting into hockey when no one wanted hockey, and uh, getting into CrossFit before it was uh, exciting. And they they caught us uh, certainly at a time where we needed serious help. And so um, they got a great deal, but they've been great great partner. Um, and yeah, and then NBC came in obviously to help. Um, to help make Reebok's investment uh, worthwhile. Yeah, that's a great fit. And um, I, I had not noticed, and, and again, I, I don't chase it around so much to really know, but it seems like they're like the only uh, product sponsor involved with the Spartan Series right now. Is that true? Uh, I didn't hear the question. Repeat that. Well, my question was, are they the only product sponsor involved with the Spartan Series? Uh, as of now, they are the most significant. I'm, scr- I'm scrambling here, thinking quickly who else who else we have that's an actual product. I mean, obviously we had Core Power, which is um, you know a drink, um, but they're the they're the only, they're unique in that they're the only sponsor that was willing to actually make Spartan products for the sport. So. Um, so that's been that's made the partnership incredible, right? Where where I could actually sit down with them and we can make uh, specific tools these athletes could use. I remember when we created the shoe, it was um, up in the air as to whether or not the shoe would really make a difference. And one of the most important attributes for me was I, I didn't want people to have to throw away their shoes after doing one of these events. And um, and they they did it. They created a shoe that cleans off in about five seconds, and it looks brand new. Wow, that's good stuff. Uh, and, and has all the technical properties that you need to climb a rope and run in mud and low profile, so you're not twisting an ankle. And so uh, and we're creating tons of gear around, uh, you know, pants, uh, shorts, uh, shirts, uh, specific to the sport. So that's been exciting because if you think about it, uh, typically a sport this young doesn't get that kind of attention. No, it sure doesn't. It sure doesn't. Yeah, and you know, I mean, if you think about it, even you know, another way to look at it is look at soccer in this country. How hard it is for soccer to get a foothold in this country, and even the athletes to make the type of living that that is uh, garnered in, in other parts of the world. It's and that's such a huge, huge sport. And I mean, it's involved in all the schools. It's a big deal. It's but still, uh, from a growth perspective, it's not anywhere near uh, the rate in which the Spartan racing is growing. No, I, I agree. Just hang on one second. Uh, sorry for your audience. I got to do this. I need about one second to walk to a different room. No problem. So you know, again, uh, w- while we're waiting for Joe to get back on, uh, all you runners out there that are listening to this, you might want to take a look at this. Spartan racing is a, a pretty cool thing. Obstacle racing. It helps you to to uh, round out your strength. And a lot of runners that are tend to be slight of build. Essentially, T-Rex is going down the road, no, no arm strength, no upper body strength whatsoever. Um, you know, from a standpoint of longevity and, and health, I think, I think that uh, this global approach to training is a big deal. I think it's important. 
four thumbs up endorsement is. Uh, well, that's. I'm sorry. That's a question. That's a question I have for you. Is um, yeah. I go back and forth when you look at some of these sprinters, on you know an, an Olympic sprinter, they are monsters, right? Male or female, their upper body, they look like wrestlers. And versus you look at a, a marathon runner, and they just look anemic. And so, and so, my question to you is: um, Wouldn't the runner be a little bit faster, having a total muscle tonality you know, throughout the entire body? Well, that's uh, that's a tough question to answer. Uh, I, I would suggest that uh, there is a strength to weight ratio that is premium relative to the distance. And I know that from a standpoint of, for example, establishing a world record at the marathon, you know, everything is working against you if you're exceeding, as a male, 130 pounds. So given uh, the, the guys that are killing it now, these, these uh, African runners, if you look at their genetics, they typically run at about 100, oh, excuse me, 125 pounds at about 5'9". Their bodies are more capable of dissipating heat. They're generally conditioned to pretty much any environment they've, they've got to contend with. Their energy costs are lower. There's so much efficiency associated with what they're, the way they're built. So it's a tough question. I think that uh, for a middle-distance runner, probably having a little bit more muscle would be a value. Um, but the longer it gets, the, the, the slighter of build you're going to need. Got it. Uh, as a matter of fact, I, I, I'm uh, involved with a company that um, Michael Johnson is involved in right now. As a matter of fact, I'm supposed to do an interview with him, I think, next week. You know, And he still holds the 400-meter uh, record, world record, and has had it since, I think, 2000. Um, and just recently had the 200-meter record taken away from him by Hussein Bolt uh, You know, within the last few years. But you look at the builds, you're right, of these guys. But if you look at their training regimens, too, I mean, these guys are lifting a lot of weights, a lot of deadlifts. They're doing a a tremendous amount of heavy lifting in order to promote that power. So uh, I think that's pretty much in keeping with what's going on with CrossFit and the, the transition from CrossFit to Spartan racing. So it's a nice fit. Yeah, 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 I agree. So do you do a lot of CrossFit yourself, Joe? I actually don't. I I, um, I feel like this is going to sound terrible, and I'm sure I'm going to get a bunch of hate mail and laughter about this, but I feel like I invented CrossFit, to be honest with you. I <laughs> I, I used to do um, a workout back in the late 80s, early 90s, we called the prison workout. And um, everybody at that time, you know, was going to gyms and lifting weight on traditional benches and, and, and squat racks and because we all wanted to get a little bigger. And um, I, I didn't have the time to, and, or the inclination to do, you know, 12 reps, 8 reps, 6 reps, uh, take a break, uh, do chest uh, three days later. And I said, if we're going to do this, we should do the entire body. We should be restricted to one hour, and we should do no less than 20 reps on an exercise. And there should be no rest from set to set or body part to body part. And so we used to do, uh, for years, three days a week, I was about 100, I want to say 120 so, like, it would start out on the squat rack. We'd do, um, obviously, lighter weight, 25 reps, immediately run over to leg um, extensions, leg curls, and calf raises, 
and you would do that circuit four times with no rest. You'd immediately go to the, um, the shoulder uh, bench press, military press, and you'd do um, drop sets. So you'd go like 30 reps down to 20, uh, down to lateral raises, front raises, rear rear delts. You'd immediately go from there to the pull-up um, machine where they had, you can get assistance. So you'd go to failure, you'd get some assistance, go to failure, get some more assistance, go to failure. You'd immediately go to um, dumbbells to bench. It was, I had guys, the reason we called the prison workout, I had guys just out of prison were the only ones that would do it with me. And um, talk about results, you never saw anything like it. It was basically CrossFit times four. Wow. You had a, um, it would it would have been more fun getting eaten by a shark than going to the gym. It was so painful. <laughs> You know, I owned health clubs for a while. We used to do a lot of circuit training, and we went uh, when this um, uh, what's it called a uh, double concentric exercise these these machines that push air. Uh, yeah, I had a circuit of that equipment, and we used to push people in there. And essentially, the same type of thing is just basically keeping their heart rate through the roof the entire time for about thirty minutes. And you know, we had the. Uh, the Concept 2 rower in the middle of the floor. I, I had a bull whip that I used to encourage people during the, the class. And, I love uh, it. Yeah, it was good stuff. I mean, uh, people would get sick. They'd throw up, and, and, and it got real popular real fast. The more people that threw up, it seemed like the more popular it became. So, uh, yeah, I, I'm no stranger to intensity, especially when it comes to doling it out. So. This stuff is all good, you know. I, I just, I, I really, again, I don't want to sound like a puppy with this, but I like where it's going. I think it's, I think it's a big deal, and I, I, I'm, I'm encouraging people that that it, while you were changing offices, I, I gave a little plug saying that you know runners that listen to this show that that they're they're stapled in life where exercise is concerned is getting out in the morning and doing their five or six mile run and or gearing up for their next marathon or what have you. It's 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 kind of shallow. I mean, you could be you could be getting so much more for your body if you indoctrinated some effort in your upper body and to develop some strength in your shoulder girdle and your your lats and you know get after some of these more dynamic movement patterns. And you know, from a standpoint of longevity and health and wellness, I think it's just a better thing. No doubt about it. Yeah. So. Um, is there anything in the pipe that's unique? Well, just for the sake of the audience that those that are new to this, at the end of the day, the the, the Spartan series is broken into three three components, right? The sprint, uh, the super, and uh, the beast, right? Correct. So the sprint is commonly three miles. I say commonly because the, the distances can vary, right? It could vary a little bit, yes. And then depending on terrain. Uh, same thing with uh, the super. What is it uh, between six and eight miles, something like that? Uh, closer to eight. Okay, and then the the beast is traditionally thirteen miles, half marathon. Correct. Okay, and then I also understand that the obstacles in these events uh, change from year to year. You know, somebody gets a notion, say, yeah, you know, let's put the hole over here instead of. The rope, you know, do you, you can change this up at whim, right? You know, the people expect that, right? Absolutely, they do, and that's why we, we, we um, I feel like you got to get out of your comfort zone to really grow, and so that's the goal there. But, but um, the problem is, it's like a, 
a bad virus where they start to learn the antibiotics. Right. Um, and that's, what, that's what's happening to our participants. They, they're starting to know our tricks. Right. And, and I, I think you coined the phrase somewhere uh, along the way, uh, obstacle immunity, right? You're trying to avoid this obstacle immunity where someone gets it so, so dialed in that they just basically know what to train for and what kind of things to expect when they show up. That's right. So do you guys like sit down with a beer and, or two and just sit there thinking, all right, how about if we uh, take a hatchet and you know, throw it at somebody, and they got to duck it. I mean, do you you sit there and just I, I can imagine what events or what obstacles got tossed because you just figured it was just a little outside the box. <laughs> do you have those meetings? It had to be athletic in nature. Okay, that was important, and um, you know, everybody contributed. We got a bunch of great employees that have been with us from the beginning, and. Um, you know, when you're running a business, as you know, you can't think of everything. And some of these, some of these folks came up with like the guy that came up with the spear throw. Obviously, the Spartan race should have a spear throw, right. and um, that is just an awesome obstacle. It's it's really a burpee maker. You a, bur- know? a burpee maker in that you can't if you're not trained with the spear, you're going to end up doing the burpees. Exactly. Ah. Well, that's another thing that I've been getting really involved in these days is I'm, I'm making everybody do a buttload of burpees. Yeah. It's good stuff. Burpees are an ultimate exercise. I, I think I agree with you. So I want to talk about this cruise. Now, you guys have this Spartan cruise coming up in March. Can you give us a broad stroke of what's all uh, that's about? Yeah, so the idea was um, even Spartan's party – and um, could we put together a cruise going to a private island that is all, you know, athletic the way we, our whole philosophy uh, exists around. It's healthy, which, again, is our, our philosophy exists around, and, um, but yet has a party element to it. So we're going to meet uh, down in Miami, and we're going to get on a, a cruise ship, and it'll be like no other cruise ever taken. I mean, for all... For all you know, because you're coming, I may have you swimming alongside the boat. (laughs) Well, you know, I don't mind swimming in that ocean. I'm having a little trouble swimming in the ocean in L.A. It's just too freaking cold, you know. And I know you're thinking, suck it up, or or what's the term, Spartan up, and just deal with it. And and I did. I mean, I did. I'm not a bad swimmer. Um, But uh, I I could see you standing there saying, hey, you know what, Uh, set your drink down for a minute. Jump in the ocean and see if you can keep up with the boat. We'll meet you at the island. I um I read an article this morning that said it was the Athenians that came up with the hot shower, and that Spartans always took cold showers. And once that that technology migrated over to Sparta, that's ultimately what crumbled that civilization. <laughs> so so you better stay in that cold water. <laughs> oh well, you know I'm I'm my my heritage is Cuban. So we're dipping into my lake there, buddy, when you start talking you about the, the Bahamas and all that down there. Um, so you got this race is going to go off. It's going to be a sprint race on this private island. And basically, we've, you've, you're trying to corral all the baddest people you could, you could find to go out there and participate in this. How many people do you expect to show up uh, uh, for this event or on the boat? Um. I don't know how many Isaiah Vidal's are going to actually just kayak over or swim there. That's why we're not releasing the island. <laughs> yeah. 
but we're going to have about 2,000 people on the ship. And um, you're right. We want I want the baddest male and female athletes from every sport to be there because it, wouldn't it be awesome to bring everybody under one roof for a few days? Yeah, you know, I can't even imagine what that's going to be like. I can't even. Yeah. It, that's what's kind of cool about it is is that uh, when you get all these people, I mean, I can imagine just, you know, somebody is sitting there by the pool having a beer and, you know, I understand Dean Carnassus is coming. Dean's coming, yeah. Yeah, so here you got Dean running running around the deck, you know, so, to making you dizzy watching him run around the deck. And it inspires you to get off your butt and, you know, pop off some burpees or something like that. And it's like nobody's going to rest. It, you know, instead of being like this casual cruise kind of thing, you know, people are going to be trying to climb up the smokestack or jump off into the ocean. I, I, I feel sorry for the crew. This is a no-rest cruise. <laughs> Unbelievable. And so uh, the the race on the, on this island that remains to be named is going to be, you got 50000 in prize money? We're giving away 50000 in prize money. And um, we're going to have a bunch of speakers um, speaking about nutrition. And uh, hopefully you'll speak for us. We'll talk about um, exercise, physiology, and we'll just, I just want to teach a bunch of people and um, get people excited about health and wellness in a, in a most unlikely setting. So let me give you a thought that I had, and I kind of uh, uh, laid it out to you briefly in, in an email. Is I thought it would be really interesting to get some athletes, you know, grab a few of them, and put them on a treadmill. And you know the treadmill on the ship's not going to be able to tap. It's going to tap out at probably 12 miles per hour. So we're going to have to have some external load, maybe uh, some weight vest, maybe put like 50 pounds on their back, and maybe neck it down a little bit for the women, and then do a VO2 test. To failure. Let's do it. And then we'll find out we'll find out who's got the the biggest VO2, and then uh, find out who's got the quickest recovery relative to intensity. So we why don't I get? You should do a call out to every athlete around the globe. If they're a high level enough athlete, um, obviously the cruise is on us. So right. so let's get out. Let's get that message out. But um. I should try to get some wrestlers there. We should compare everybody um, uh, to my theory. I think it's yeah, we could do the research. We could figure out what it's going to take to be to be the the main guy, right? Yeah. I got. Uh, I spoke to. You know who Michael Wardian is? No. Michael Wardian is a monster. He, he's basically a, a, an ultra marathoner, but I think he's the kind of guy that that has got the salt for this. Um, I asked him if he's interested. He said he's down if we can. We can hook him up. Uh, he's just uh, oh geez, I'll give you the accolades. But he's 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 a monster. He's been all over the world, uh, anywhere from uh, 5K to ultra marathon, mountain racing, and he looks like he might have the juice for it. Uh, got a couple guys like that. Nicodemus Holland said he'd be up for it. As I told you, Charlie said he's up for it. I got a guy from Southern California that's a paddler. You mentioned to me paddlers. And, yep. you know, this guy um, every year paddles from Long Beach to Catalina, which is essentially right. a, a marathon, gets to Catalina and then runs a marathon around the island, gets back on the board and comes home. And he's, yeah. he's about 50 years old. Um, I I ran it by him, thought, you know, because I thought that would be kind of flavorful, somebody that's kind of a water sport, pretty tough little guy. Let's get rowers, too. Yeah. 
Yeah, well, I'll look around. I, you know, I, I know some people, and you know, those of you to listen to this now, uh, you're going to have to act quick. You're going to have to get out to me or reach out to to Joe at Spartan Racing, and uh, let us know what you're all about because we're looking for tough guys. We're looking for tough girls. We're looking for the people that want to stand up and and show their worth and possibly earn a little bit of money and uh, you know make their bones. And you know, a lot of people. Go ahead. It'd be really interesting. The person with the best VO2 max may not win the race, and it'd be interesting to look at that. Well, I don't think they will, to be honest with you. Uh, yeah. it, it really comes down to efficiency because you're going to find that the guys that have the biggest VO2s are traditionally going to be the guys that are a slighter build. I, I can tell you that I'm doing a VO2 on Hunter on Friday, and he's, you know, by no, I don't want to take anything away from him. His VO2 is going to be pretty high. But relatively speaking, he's not. I, I would like to think, or I'd like to believe that he's not going to hit 80s. And you start talking about guys like, uh, I don't know if you know Joseph Gray, but he's a, you know, he's a world champion mountain racer, just a stud. Um, you know, I'm sure he's up in the 80s. But uh, you know, the horizontal ladder would take him out. I did an interview with Max King the other day, and here's another guy that's been looking at obstacle racing and coming from ultra racing. And, uh, you know, his his own comments to me was that he felt that um, he didn't have the, the type of juice in the short stuff that someone like Hunter has because he said his grip strength is gone by midway through the event. You know, he can run like hell, but after having to use his hands and carry his body weight or, you know, carry things in his hands for a long time, his, his, his grip strength is gone by midway through the race. Uh, so so right. I don't know. it's interesting. I, I, it's really it's just fascinating to me, quite frankly, and it'd be fun to find out, you know, what that all shakes out like. But uh, just just for the people that are listening, it the cruise is uh, March sixth, right? Yeah, yeah. Leaving out of Miami. Uh, the details of the cruise can be found on. Um, give, give them the URL, Joe. Just just go to Spartan.com. Spartan.com will have the information. They can find out everything they need to know about the event. Uh, if someone feels like they have some special attributes that would cause them to get a free ride, you can reach out to me and let me see if we can filter through it. Uh, they can connect with me at diazhumanperformance.com or uh, my email is diazhp at verizon.net, and I'd be glad to to chat with whomever feels like they deserve a shot at the, the, the championship. Someone, someone wants to be a contender. Let me know, and let's 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 see if we can get you involved. Listen, Joe, I I really appreciate you taking the time to speak with me. I think we're going to have a lot of things to talk about in the coming future. Um, you've definitely got my attention, and uh, just love having it. No, this is awesome. Thanks for having me on. I appreciate it, Joe, and um, we're going to speak soon. So let's go ahead and let you get back to your lunch and. Uh, have an amazing, uh, well, I was going to say weekend. I'm usually doing this like on a Friday, but uh, have, a, have an amazing rest of the day. Thanks for having me. See ya. All right. Take care, buddy. Well, friends, it's time to bring another show to a close. Be sure and tune in to us next week. We've got a lot of great content in store for you. I want you to tell your friends to check us out. You can always find us on Facebook. Simply go search the Natural Running Network. Drop us a message. I'd love to learn more about you and the things you do. And until then, you have an amazing day.